Hare Krishna. Um, I'd like to wish you all a very happy Sunday. And we've been, as he explained, Nityananda Prabhu explained, we've just finished two massive celebrations, the biggest of the year. How many of you were here for either one or the other of the celebrations that we just completed? Okay, so about half of all of us. And um, so this is a really intimate gathering, and I would, I know you would also like to be comfortable. So I request those of you that are in the back, if you can just bring it in, come super close so it doesn't feel like I'm screaming across the room to you or if you're, if you would like to be more comfortable up here at a seat. Today we will be delving into befriending the mind. And that's the topic chosen for today. And I'd like to offer my respects to the senior Vaishnavas, the senior of uh, saintly members of the audience that you are allowing me to speak a few words, and I pray that I can say something that will be beneficial to you. So before we start, we say a prayer to the Supreme Lord, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, in His most intimate form as Krishna, and it's called Jai Radha Madhava, so I'll sing that for a few minutes, and then we'll get into this topic. This is a good time, especially since we're talking about the mind, to get the mind to focus on the sound vibration alone of the mantra that I'm about to sing. Um, it'll clear out all the stresses of the day and the weekend and the next, the week coming up, and it'll set our intention for the message that we are about to hear in the next in the upcoming 30 minutes, so that when you do hear it, it makes some kind of an impact. And when you go home, you can practice it, and something can come of this 30 minutes that we're spending together. So I'll get started. Jaya Radha Madhava Kunja Bihari Jaya Gopi Jana Vallabha Girivardhari Jashodanandana Brajjanaranjana Jashudanandana Brajjanaranjana Jamuna Tiravanachari Jaya Radha Madhava Kunjabihari Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama Rama Ram Hare 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 
All right, so we will start with reading a verse from the Srimad Bhagavad Gita, chapter 6, text 6. So before we start, I ask that you sit with your back straight and cross legs, and we can recite the prayer before we read the scripture. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Reading from Srimad Bhagavad Gita, text chapter 6, text number 6. This is spoken in the Sanskrit language, so you can repeat after me. Bandhur Atmatmanas Tasya Yena Atmaiva Atmana Jitaha Anatmanas Tu Shatrutve Vartita Atmaiva Shatruvat 
For him who has conquered the mind, the mind is the best of friends. But for one who has failed to do so, the mind will remain the greatest enemy. So all of us have had this experience where our mind is our best friend. And I wanted to give a few examples of where our mind is our best friend and where our mind can be our worst enemy. So it's easier for me to think of examples of where the mind is an enemy. For example, if I'm coming home from a really, really long day and my children are have their chores to complete and they have not completed their chores and suddenly I get covered in perhaps rage because I've had a stressful day and in that moment I start speaking to them with unkind words and fresh a frustrated voice and my entire body is clenched, my fists, my heart and I start speaking to my children in ways that are against the natural relationship of loving interactions with your, ch- with your child. Or say you're at work and you're rushing to get to work and you're stressed because you can see that you're going to be late. Perhaps the projects are overwhelming you or there are some um, issues, communication issues with your manager or your boss or your fellow employees. And your mind is already at work thinking about the problems and someone cuts you off. And we've all experienced this, maybe not all of us, where you just, you're about to hit that. Perhaps you control yourself and you're not going to hit the, um, the horn. Is that what you call it? The, the beep, the horn on the car and, or you flip them, flip them off or whatever. You start acting in ways that are against your internal, uh, state of peace or where you would, what you would like to do. Or have you ever been in a circumstance where you're going into a social environment and you're about to see all of your friends and friendships also come with insecurities and you walk into the room and suddenly the insecurities are stronger than you would have liked and you go home and whatever people say there, one of the items tweaks you and disturbs you and you go home and your mind is dwelling on that and you can't sleep and you start obsessing over that particular friend and what she said and how she acted and how could she and what about this person and how do I confront her or do I not confront her and the mind can go on for a few days. These are just some simple examples. Since I am a teacher, I teach um, a wide a variety of ages. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand a few times here. And I'm also going to ask you to do something we do in class, which is elbow partner. So I'd like you to turn to and elbow the person that's sitting closest to you, if that's okay. And 
Share one thing that your mind has done where it has experienced being an enemy. And we are short on time, so we're going to do that for two minutes. Is that okay? Everyone can turn to their partner and share an example, perhaps something recently in the past week or two. And it takes a little bit of vulnerability to share this. So I'm not asking you to share your deepest, darkest secrets here, but just something you've done where your mind has acted as your enemy. You can go ahead and start sharing. <laughs> All right, so we'll um, wrap up now. It was nice. We saw quite a few conversations. So how many of you got a chance to share your mind being your enemy? And how many of you are comfortable to share it now with the group? Anybody? All right, go ahead. Arjun Krishna Prabhu. Oh, so frustration. Absolutely. That was an incredible, excellent example. Upset about it. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. And that's someone who is um, a leader in our community who has been practicing mantra meditation for many, many years. So thank you for sharing. Who else would like to share? Frustration of daily life. The mind gets caught up in that. Um, anyone else? Yes? Good. It sounds like you have some experience in this and identifying issues with the mind. Thank you for sharing. Anyone else want to share a specific example of where your mind was your enemy? In the back there, I heard that you were both speaking. Would you like to share? No? Anyone else? Yes. Okay. A few hours, just totally enwrapped in that. All right. So, you know, we're discussing some simple things here, of things that pass us by that, you know, we can identify. But this problem that we have with the mind, with us identifying ourselves with the mind, seeing that the mind is us, and with us um, becoming pulled by the mind, this is not a comical thing. The mind is what has covered our soul in a brand new identification. So the Vedic scriptures teach us that we are eternally the spirit soul and we belong to a spiritual world where we are, we have a body of eternality, eternal, full of bliss and full of knowledge where every step you walk, you are happy and you're not tied by external limitations. You're free. But we have made the choice consciously to come into this world and take on a completely different identity known as the false ego. So the pure spirit soul takes on the false ego and layers of matter. And the subtle layers of matter are the mind intelligence, and false ego. And the mind is the layer that's directly in touch with the physical layers of matter, which are the five senses. And we know what the five senses are. Everyone learns that in kindergarten. Sight, touch, smell, taste, and uh, hearing. And so these five senses are um, actively acquiring ways for us to become happy. And the senses tell the mind, 
I want this. I'm hungry. I, I'm going to smell the delicious um, flavor and aroma of basil and oregano being cooked in the kitchen. And I start thinking about the pizza that's being made. And my mind starts wanting it. The stomach starts growling. And the mind makes the decision to eat it. So the mind is that connecting principle to the senses. And the senses tell the mind, I want this and I don't want that. So the first thing to identify is when you're deciding that you're hungry and you have to have that, and I'm sure most of us living in America, perhaps more the women than the men, have to go through some kind of a weight, you know, weight loss journey. That's a great example of mental recognition and observation where you see that you shouldn't eat this, but you want to eat it. And you think that you're the one having to have that item. And so the very first thing that the scriptures teach us is the mind is not you. So every thought that is processing in your head is separate from you. Actually, the mind is not sentient. The mind is not conscious, though we think the mind is conscious because it thinks and feels and wills. We think that it is the one moving us and having us journey this life. But the mind is purely a machine that can be programmed. And because we have allowed it to program it with all kinds of impressions since childhood, we build it up as our own identity. So I'd like to start that first practice of identifying that I am not my mind. So try and say these two mantras, I am not my mind and I have a mind. I mean, sorry, I am my mind and I have a mind. Let's practice that. Let's hear you say, I am my mind. Or I have a mind. That's the first thing to remember. How does that feel? I am my mind versus I have a mind. With one sentence, you are accepting that whatever your mind thinks and feels, you will do because it's you. And with the second sentence, you are separating yourself from your mind. The mind is going to act a certain way and you are going to separate yourself from it. This is extremely important, this first principle, to separate yourself from your mind. Because when you come home and your kids are acting a certain way and you automatically react, it's very important to stop and observe. Okay, I'm angry. My mind is feeling angry because my desire, the chores being done or whatever, is not being met. That's a very basic example Many of us may have had more intense examples. Perhaps you've had some relationship issues and the person that you were very, very close to has now separated from you and distanced from you and has become your ex. And when you see them, it's pure and total chaos. That is an important point, a a point in time to stop. I am not my mind. I am separate from it. My mind is reacting That is not me. I am a spirit soul. I am going to control my mind. Another example is perhaps you've gone into work and the person that you were working on in the same field with that you were leading the project that other guy gets all of the credit. And what you want to do is 
fix it somehow, get angry, work when you are so overwhelmed with these feelings that your mind is feeling is the prime time to experience and remind yourself that I am not your my mind. I had to go through this a few years ago. My son was hospitalized with a brain tumor in the hospital for three weeks, and I had to experience this very strongly, separate myself from my mind. As a mother, the biological hormones that come in when your child is in disturbance and distress, and my spiritual teachers told me, observe it. You are going to freak out. You are going to lose yourself, which I did. But I've been practicing mantra um, bhakti yoga for many, many years, and I'm grateful that I have been because I was prepared for this, for being able to experience this in anybody who has faced death or disease, and we all will if we have not yet. It is so important for us to separate from our mind. So that's the first thing. The second thing is I can go into a little bit of a technical discussion as to what the mind does. The scriptures tell us that the mind has many tasks, but two main are sochati and kangshati. So if I hear, can hear you say sochati and kangshati. So sochati, kangshati is wanting, desiring. I want I want what I see in front of me. I need all of these things. They will make me happy. The senses tell you that you need them, you want them, and you desire that. And that desire is continuous. It's like the waves in the ocean. I lived in Laguna Beach for many years, and I remember standing on, and my husband, actually I had met him there, and there were many, many waves that were really, really, really big, and it was like a big thing to go surfing down the waves, and you had a number four was like massive waves that you wouldn't be able to get, and we get our boogie boards and go down those waves, but if you stand peacefully at the ocean and watch the waves, not only do they come one after another, but they come like within the span of like 10 feet, you'll have like three or four that come continuously. They never stop. And so are our desires. And we may not see the desires like sitting in the temple. You may not necessarily think, oh yeah, I have a lot of desires. I'm just sitting here listening to a class or I'm driving to work. But there are even described unconscious desires that the mind is focusing on that the mind tries to get. And anybody who's lived life knows that you're perhaps 16 and all you're thinking is, oh, one day I'll go to college and then I'll get a degree and then I'll make a lot of money and I'll just hit that goal and then I'll just hit that goal and then I'll just do that and then I'll be happy and then I'll just go there and meet that girl and get, you know, married or whatever and then I'll be happy and then, oh wait, now we need children and we need a house and it's continuous and the desires continue to flow and flow and flow and so... Desire is shown in, um, by this experience of wanting and, and, uh, trying to make it happen. And that starts off in your mind as a thought. There are three steps to how we get our desires. Thinking, feeling, and willing. So first is just a thought. The thought passes, uh, passes by your head. You see a cute girl and you think for the men, 
You think, oh, wow, okay, she looks a little interesting. Maybe I can talk to her. It's a desire. For those who are trying to lose weight, you see the item that's in your refrigerator that shouldn't be there or the chips that are hidden in the closet all the way at the top that you kind of know about and you get the desire for. You drive by the Pizza Hut and you know that you're not allowed to eat cheese, but you want it, you get the thought. So that thought is the first step. The second step now, thinking, feeling, now you start feeling it. If it's pizza or cheesecake or chocolate raisins, that's kind of my my uh, weakness. You start salivating. And when you're thinking, feeling, you're feeling it. Now your body is starting to feel this thought, this desire that you have. And I'm talking about some innocuous desires here. Most of us that are on this planet have those skeletons in our closet, those desires that are just not good for us. They're bad for us, they're harmful to others, and we fight them, and we don't talk about them, and we need to get rid of them in order to make any spiritual advancement. So thinking is the first step, feeling is the second step, and the last is willing. Now at the willing stage, if it was that cute girl, you're actually going and you're going to like walk up to her and talk to her. If it's the chocolate raisins, you're sitting now in the car to drive to buy them or you're opening it up and putting it in a bowl and about to eat them. Um, if it's um, or you're Googling it, you're researching it. If it's that new car that you want, you're taking more time. Now you have just trained your mind that you, my dear mind, are in charge of me. And I'm going to do what you think. Whatever thought you have, I'm going to follow it. So I went into that party and those girls were like gossiping and I heard someone say something negative about me and I went home and obsessed about it. And my mind was thinking, thinking, thinking about it. And then I started talking to another friend about it or my husband or how could they this... Now I've gone from the thinking stage to the feeling stage to the willing stage. And I've told my mind that this is what I'm focusing on. Your freakouts and your issues are what I am making my own. And so that's the thinking, feeling, willing stage of desire. And these topics take a long time to discuss. I'm going to, I see that the time is going by and we have to get past all of this and figuring out how to solve this because I can't have you leave this temple room with the, just the problem. So then that's desire. So the second side of that is lamentation. So the two actions of the mind are desire, kangshiti, and then lamentation. Lamentation, it is described in the scriptures, harsha shoka. Any desire you have will have an equal opposite lamenting. No matter how much we try, and believe me, I have tried, no matter how much you try to desire without lamenting, it cannot happen in this world because the very nature of this world is completely opposite to our internal nature. And our internal nature is? And our nature is opposite. We are eternal beings. We are used to eternal desires that are completely satiated and fulfilled. That is our internal nature. But we're stuck in this world where everything is opposite. So you desire something and now it has to end. That chocolate raisin that I just, you know, had to eat the satisfaction only lasts so much 
time. And sure enough, or that pizza, I've got to eat it again in order to feel that taste again. I can savor it for as long as possible. I can keep it in my mouth and not chew it and try and savor it. We try and do this in our relationships. We try and savor the pleasure, slow it down. We try and savor the um, the journey upward of our career, the money. And this lamentation is so clearly seen at Christmas time. Because we have a big holiday party in our school and all the kids gather and they have been thinking for a whole month about their secret Santa presents and kids are a great example of this. They sit and they're just getting ready to open that present, open that present. And there's so much desire, desire and that desire they're equating with happiness. Everyone is smiling and excited and suddenly ready and everyone opens their presents And then after five minutes, I mean, it's really quick, 30 seconds. Oh, either. Oh, that's what I got. But I better say thank you because, you know, I have to be polite or the toy. Let's open it out of its box. Let's use it. And anyone who is a mom knows that the toy gets tossed to the side, especially in this world where we can get anything we desire. So many choices are out there. Perhaps in other countries, they have little less desire that's being built up. But we've spent so much time in desire that the lamentation comes so much quicker. And so you get that object of your desire. And because it's temporary, the pleasure is temporary. And it's not going to, it's satisfying a machine. It's satisfying the mind. It's not satisfying the soul, the internal soul, who is eternal, full of bliss and full of knowledge. And so because of that, the lamenting comes and lamentation or, or pain is shown in three ways. And that's adibhotik, adhyatmic and adidaivik. Adibhotik is a lamentation from other living entities. So those people that are affecting me, that are stopping me from doing what I want to do or who are insulting me or hurting me. Adibhotik, adidaivik from the demigods, from the superior. The demigods meaning hurricanes and fires and thunderstorms and bad weather. I wanted to have a great birthday party for my friend and we worked really hard. Or for my child, we worked really hard, got all of the supplies, went out to the pool and it's raining. That's desire that's now being stopped by the devas or the gods or the, or mother nature. And adibotic, adidevic and adhyatmic desires that are being hampered by you yourself. I really want this particular item. I want to be in this particular location, but I myself am too tired or too mental or too sick or um, have had a long day or too stressed out. I can't do it. And even more, adhyatmic, atma also means mind. My own mind won't allow me to do that. And I'm going through these topics very quickly. Each and every one of these topics is could be probably an hour spoken through it, but this is just a synopsis of this mind topic. And so the mind has two functions, desiring and lamenting. So now we've identified we're separate from the mind. Then we've identified that, okay, this is what my mind does. My mind is a machine and it's going to desire and then it's going to lament. What's next? How do I get out of this cycle 
of following my mind's wishes? How do I stop obsessing over over uh, someone insulting me or hurting me? How do I stop worrying at night over all of the things that my mind is causing me to do? How do I stop myself from going and grabbing that whole bowl of chocolate raisins when I'm trying to lose weight? How do I stop caffeine from becoming an addiction? How do I stop being addicted to drugs, sensual pleasure, relationships, newer and newer relationships, anger, lust, envy? We can go deeper and deeper into the heart as to all the things that we have covered and created as our own identity because of our mind. How do I do this? So, here Krishna says in the verse, For one who has conquered the mind, the mind is the best of friends. So now remember, we discussed how the mind was our enemy because it's just leading us astray. And literally all of our life circumstances are through impressions that the mind has created. Unless you have from the very childhood established a yoga practice of separating yourself from your mind and building up your identity separate from your mind, you're going to find that you're just led here and there. And so how do we stop this? We're going to make our mind our friend. So like a child, before we remove things, we're going to give the mind happiness. In small, small ways. And anyone who goes through any kind of addiction process, the 12 steps, or even if it's just weight loss, you know that you can't just tell yourself to stop eating all the unhealthy things. You've got to get in the kitchen and go to the store, Whole Foods perhaps, or Sprouts, and get all those veggies, and you've got to eat a lot of healthy things. So the first thing that the scriptures teach us is Rasovarjam, give it a higher taste, become your mind's friend and give your mind a higher taste. And so how can you give your mind a higher taste? Really high level. You need to know what your goals in life are. You need to know that by the time you hit 60, this is what I want to achieve. By the time I hit 30, this is what I would like. By the time I hit the next year, this is where I would like to be. By the time I hit the next month, The next week, this is where I would like to be at. And I'm not going to completely separate myself from the mind right now because I'm just not at that place and I'm not going to pretend to be somewhere I'm not. These goals that I have established for myself, are they based on temporary desires that will not truly satisfy me? Or are they based on intrinsically strengthening my spirit and my soul? So you have to have some goals that are spiritual, that are not based on the machine of the mind and just acquiring sense gratification and fulfilling desires, which will only give lamentation. So once you have set those goals, now this happens materially and spiritually. Materially, if you'd like to become free from the mind's pullings, you need to set those goals. And you need to be very clear on those goals. I want to lose 10 pounds. Make them as specific as possible. Those of you are uh, familiar with the secret know, you visualize it. You get into thinking, feeling, and willing your goals. 
And the scriptures teach us there are do's and there are don'ts. And so the do's is that you give yourself a goal that provides pleasure materially and spiritually. Once you have established your goal, the second thing you want to do is now observe. Now, I am a total nerd because I am in education, and I have made it really, really a priority these days to observe my mind and journal what my mind is doing, where it's thinking, where it's going. How is my mind becoming my friend? And so... If you find that you're obsessed, simple example that many may relate with, you're at nighttime and you can't sleep and you're just, your mind is obsessing about all kinds of things, all kinds of worries. When I was in the hospital with my son, I couldn't help but the mind just biologically had to experience pain and suffering as a mother. I had to separate myself and observe that observation process in and of itself is extremely powerful because it's training yourself that you're separate. And as soon as you see that you're separate and you start observing, suddenly you're in control. Now the mind isn't controlling you. I'm separate. I'm the spirit soul. I'm a spiritual being. My mind is only a machine. So like it's thinking, thinking, thinking about this unfortunate Disturbing. I think the biggest thing for all of us perhaps is um, reputation. If someone speaks badly about you, that can be really worrisome. If you have a relationship issue that's really important to you, that can be really worrisome. And you start, it's different for everyone. And it, you start, your mind just can't tolerate it. If you have something you really crave and you really want that's in a sinful category, that also can be something that like is really hard to get your mind off of. So... Become an observer. You hit your goals, become an observer. First, just observe it. One week went by, and I thought about that particular, I obsessed about that, oh, just about maybe 25 times in the day. And there's a beautiful story of our teacher, his grace, divine grace, Shri the Prabhupada. He was in 1967 in San Francisco, and his um, disciple. They were very new. The, the ISKCON society had just recently been established. And we have four regulative principles of freedom that we follow in order to follow this process. They're called, they're the four in order to control the mind. And one of them is no intoxication. And no intoxication means no cigarettes. And as we all know, cigarettes are an addiction. So he, his disciple was carving one of the deities on the altar. Now, in order to be on the altar, you need to go through some four or five years of practice, spiritual practice in order to go up to the altar and serve. But this was when the society was very new and all of these principles and practices were just being established. And his disciple is carving one of the deities on the altar and he just happens to walk in as his disciple is carving the deity. And we have Jagannath, Baladev, and Subhadra. And Baladev is the, the Lord w- with the white complexion. And on the top of Baladev's head is a cigarette pack. And the devotee is smoking the cigarette as he's carving. 
Now, nowadays, this would be just completely unheard of. Like, whoa, this, you know, we don't even let cigarettes come into the temple. What to speak of touching the DT form and smoking a cigarette. And our spiritual master saw. Now, he could have reacted in so many ways. And what he said was, that's okay. Just try one less every day. So you're observing it. You're observing your mind. You're observing your thoughts. You're separate from your mind. And now what you're going to do as you're observing it is you're going to figure out ways to lessen it. So you're thinking about things that you don't want to think about. You're going to stop yourself. And then it doesn't stop. And you go back to the thought. That's okay. You're going to stop yourself again. And the beautiful story that was shared, I think, by Nityananda Prabhu, um, recently was there was a disciple who had to crack open a large rock in the ground. And his Guruji told him, this is your task if you want to take initiation from me. You need to crack that rock. So I'm just going to say it in a synopsis, a summarized version. The disciple goes, and it's a large granite stone that's deep in the ground with just a portion of it um, at the top, and he hits it with a big whatever hammer, and there's no crack. And the disciple, the the teacher says, just keep hitting that stone, just do it all day, spend four or five hours, and then come back. And the disciple says, okay, I guess, you know, you've given me this instruction. This is what I'm supposed to do. I trust you. Let me do this. And he spends four hours and he just keeps cracking and cracking and cracking. And there's nothing to show for it. And he goes home and he's despondent. There's nothing to show for it. And Guruji said, that's okay. You go tomorrow, you do it again. And like this, so many days pass by. Finally, after so many days, I think... The story says it was 365 days. The entire granite stone has one little line at the surface. (gasps) 365 days later, there's one little line at the surface. And I just watched a really quick YouTube video on my Facebook feed where there was a girl who has become Miss Universe is saying that she went to the pageant, her first pageant, for Miss DC, I think, District of Columbia, and she lost. The next year, she tried again, and she lost. The third year, she tried again, and she lost. The fourth year, she went through all that effort, she psyched herself up, she went through all the interviews and applied again to become Miss US, Miss District of Columbia, and she lost. The fifth year, she lost. The sixth year, she That's what you would think. He's got it. The sixth year she lost as well. And today she was crowned this year as Miss Universe. It took her, I think, 16 years. Now, I'm not saying that this bhakti yoga process is going to take you 16 years. So let's not be discouraged by that. But that granite, that little crack in the granite, the first day that you hit the granite, There's a crack in its inner core. The first time you tell your mind, stop, you will not think about that. You are strengthening your soul. Stop. You will not go and act on that desire. Thinking, feeling, willing at the thinking stage if you stop it. 
And if you've already, if we're already past the willing stage, say I'm, you know, addicted to cigarettes, I'm way past the willing stage. Go back to the thinking stage. Stop. And that little crack will strengthen you. Every time you say no and stop that and do this instead, redirecting. So we observe and then we stop it. Now, once we stop, I've experienced this. It's not easy. You got to tell it to stop again and again and again and again. People take rubber bands and they click the rubber band every time they think about that negative thought or they see that they're following the wayward action of their mind and they don't want to. And you have to tell it again and again and sometimes every day and the next day. And this is why we practice meditation, mantra meditation. For 16 rounds, we Focus, we tell our mind to focus on the mantra, and I'll explain a little bit about the mantra to give the positive to show the other side. Right now we're discussing the don't. You observe, then you start tracking, and then you start realizing, wait, those actions that I'm not doing are not hitting my goal. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop eating that. I'm going to, I'm going to, um, just keep saying stop to my mind. Every single time you tell your mind to stop thinking those thoughts or wanting those things or feeling those things, you are creating so much strength in you. So if you have a problem with anger and you walk into a room and the entire environment is one to trigger you and make you angry, what a blessing that is now that you have heard this. Yes, I get a chance to stop myself. I get a chance to observe, to separate myself from my mind, And to just observe, I still may feel that anger. It's going to happen. But what a great blessing it is to have that obstacle. When I was in the hospital with my son and mortality is right faced with me as a brain tumor and there's a six hour surgery. What did my spiritual teacher say? You have prepared for this your entire life. Stop. Observe. Take this as an opportunity to strengthen your spirit and your soul, because ultimately we all have to die. We're all going to be hit with disease. We are going to be hit with this. No matter what, we can't get away with it. That's an extreme example. I pray that none of you have to go through that. But simple things, whether it be weight loss, whether it be spiritual practices, the lust, anger, envy that you're trying to get rid of, observe and then lessen. Observe it. And lesson. So I'm saying this again and again because we need to let this sink in. And when we come into that environment, again, I'm saying this, take it as a blessing. Now, those of us who practice, and I'm going to start talking about the positive stuff. Right now we're saying the negatives don't. We're going to start talking about the do's that make it so much more exciting and easy to do this. But those of us who practice know that when you have decided you want to hit this goal and you're trying to get rid of all of this suddenly... All you're faced with is that. You've decided, okay, Krishna, I'm too angry. I need to stop being angry. Wow. Those negative circumstances around you start increasing. People make you mad right and left. You say to your friend, we say to our friends, you know, at the school, we have a lot of camaraderie and we're lucky that we are in an environment that we can spiritually grow as well. And we say like, you know, I've realized I have a, like a big ego and I have a lot of pride and I'm really trying to work on that with my meditation. Oh my Krishna hears that. And immediately someone will insult you. Someone will talk bad about you. And those now externally that comes in front of you. So anytime you see something that makes you react, thank you. Thank you for that negative that negative thing that's happening that's making my mind freak out. Now I can separate myself from my mind, 
I can observe it and I can lessen it. And one by one, we will lessen it. And now, the good thing is, I spoke a little bit about how we are spiritual beings in the, um, not of this world, made of Satchit Ananda. But what I didn't share with you was that we are not alone in this. Not only are we going to make our mind our friend by telling it to not be an enemy and bringing us down and doing all by stopping it. We're going to give it something so transcendental and so satisfying that it will taste something higher, that it will let go of it and it won't fight it. It will still fight it, but we're going to work on this and we will do this together. So when you see a child, a one-year-old, they're very like you can see that they're very mind is everything and they're holding onto a toy really really tight and you try and rip it out or say don't have it they hold on even tighter so we're saying no to our mind our mind's going to start rebelling and getting chaotic and wanting it more but when you go and get a ice cream suddenly the grip lessens is that true i've got some kids here the grip lessens and for, they forget all about that thing, ice cream. I mean, who doesn't love ice cream? And they will run for the ice cream. So the higher taste, giving your mind a higher taste, and that's, you know, we're back to the weight loss. That's what they say, how you lose weight. You can't just say no to yourself. You've got to have the positive thing with any addiction. You've got to redirect. So you've said no, and now you're redirecting. And how do we redirect our mind in the service, in order to find out our true identity. I won't be able to say it as good as Srila Prabhupada can say it, so I'm going to go ahead and read that to you. It's so beautifully spoken. When the mind is materialistic or absorbed in material contact, it acts for material advancement of knowledge. But when the mind acts under spiritual urge, it acts wonderfully for going back home, back to Godhead, for life in complete bliss and eternity. Therefore, the mind has to be manipulated by good and unalloyed intelligence. Perfect intelligence is to render service unto the Lord. One should be intelligent enough to understand and to train the mind that the living being in all circumstances is full of pleasure. Instead of serving materially for all of the gross senses, one needs to transform the senses into loving service of the Lord. So desire is natural We're saying that all these desires are causing all this lamentation. But how can we stop desire? The Buddhists, they believe in stopping desire. The Mayavadis, they believe in cessation of desire. But the soul is naturally full of desire because we're full of happiness. And so we're going to shift our desire. Every single one of our senses are going to be used for service to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Krishna, who is our dear most friend, who is God. And so the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Krishna, you may call him your inner self. You may call him the super soul. You may call him um, instinct 
or the mother, the father. There's so many ways to look at the divine being. He is that personality. Who will help you? You're not alone. You don't have to do this on your own. You have a dear most friend that is with you, that has journeyed to this sphere with you, that will never leave your side, that is just waiting for you to turn your face back to him and say, hey, I don't want to be controlled by this, these senses and this matter. I am a spiritual being. I don't want to be um, obsessed over and controlled by a machine. I want to know what my spiritual form is and my spiritual identity. And can you help me with this? And as soon as you turn yourself to Krishna, you get that help. Very tangibly, they say you make one step towards God and he makes ten steps towards you. And there's beautiful, beautiful pastimes in the scriptures of this. We have one um, one uh, sister Okay, so her name was, I don't know her name in the previous life, but she was the sister of Bali Maharaj, for those of you who are familiar with the Vedic scriptures. And Bali Maharaj was the head of the demons. Bali Maharaj was doing a great big sacrifice where he was trying to control the higher realms, and he was from the lower realms, and he was like the big bad guy, so to speak, that all of the heavenly deities were scared of. And so... He was doing a sacrifice and the heavenly deities, the demigods, they became very worried and they went to pray to God, to Vishnu, to Krishna, please help us. He's doing this great sacrifice, these austerities, and he's going to take over our planets. And Krishna went, he had to maintain the order of the universe. And so he went to help Bali Maharaj as a young boy, Vamana. Vamana is one of the incarnations of Krishna. As Vamana was walking, he was a Brahmin, and he went to this great king. And he said, the great king saw this beautiful, effulgent young boy and said, what would you like? It's a long story. But the whole story goes in such a way that the beautiful boy said, I want three steps of land. And with the three steps of land, totally took over Bali Maharaj's property. And when Bali Maharaj was realizing that, wow, I've given my word to this Brahmana. I have to give him the property that, you know, I'm actually trying to acquire, but I have no choice because I'm strong on my word. His sister was sitting there, and his sister took a look at Vamana, and the first feeling she had was, wow, what an amazing little boy. I wish I could nurse him and he could be like my son. She had the feeling of love towards his son. And then when Vamana, you know, by the whole interaction, took everything away from her brother, she became very angry, angry, angry. The thoughts in her head started being, how could he do that? We were going to take over Indra's kingdom. We were finally going to be reinstated as not the lower planets, but at the higher planets. And the thoughts that we've all experienced became very negative. Now, Krishna... The supreme personality of God is that dear most friend who is seated within our hearts, within all of us. She created a negative, disturbing, angry intent towards him. And in her next life, it is described, she became Putana Rakshasi, the demon who went to kill all of the babies in Vrindavan to try and kill him. For those of you who these stories are a little new for, you can read up on them. 
Bhutana Rakshasi was so evil. But in her previous life, she had one small thought of love towards Krishna. Bhavagrahi Janardana. Krishna in our hearts, God, he doesn't think about all these thoughts. He doesn't hang on to all these thoughts of envy and lust and anger and hatred towards our fellow being and desire and trying to satisfy. That's not what he's aware of. He feels and becomes completely overwhelmed with the small thoughts of love that you show him. My dear Lord, I have left your side. I have covered myself with this mundane material sphere that's tra- making me travel from life to life, from you know year to year, from decade to decade, and I'm still lost, and I still don't know who I am. And, okay, I know you're there. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. I read that book as a, as a preteen. I know you're there, but Krishna, he stops. I mean, he recognizes that little thought that you make towards him. And what does he do? He magnifies that. So we're not just going to stop our negative thoughts now. What we're going to do is we're going to turn them into positive thoughts. And we're going to turn them towards Krishna. And Krishna has given us five senses and has given us the mind. There's very practical ways to do that. We all know the verse, Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Smaranam. Hearing about him, remembering him, sweeping the floor, taking care of his devotees or his people, acting, loving, everything you do, yat karoti, yat ashnashi, yat jehoshi, yat. Everything you do for him. You say, Krishna, okay, my mind is crazy. I'm addicted to this, that, and the other thing. I can't get rid of it. I don't know how to get rid of it, but I'm going to observe it. I'm going to do one less every time. I'm going to start some mantra meditation. I'm going to work on this. But you know what? I am yours. Even if I've forgotten, I belong to you. And I will do everything for you. Even my sleep. I will sleep for you. I will go to work for you. I will take care of my children for you. I will worship you. I will honor you. I will see you in every living being. Any negative circumstance that happens to me, I will see that that's you guiding it in order for me to help separate myself from my mind and my senses. And all of my senses will be engaged in you. And so those of us who are practicing bhakti, we do this a lot more seriously. We chant 16 rounds every single day. Japamala, which I don't have with me. Does anybody have their Japamala here with them? Can you just show the beads for those who are a little new, who may not be aware of it? This is our practical, tangible way of controlling our mind and offering ourselves to Krishna through sound vibration. In addition, we have um, all of our food that we get from the store. We cook it. We offer it to the Lord. Every single day we offer our food to the Lord because we eat that and it goes in our body and it it activates our senses so that the nutrients and the food items that are going in your body, now they're going to be telling your senses, remember you had said that you wanted to not do the material thing and you want to go to the spiritual route? This is a practical way of doing it. So we offer our food and we hear about Krishna and there's so much more to learn about. When you start getting your mind wrapped up in something stronger than just the mundane material. And so... I hope that helps. We're going to first identify that we're separate from our mind. Second, that our mind is a machine that can be observed and retrained. Third, that we're going to start doing one less every day of those thoughts 
before it gets to the willing stage. Just keep at it, and mantra meditation is the best way to do that. And fourth, the most powerful and the most important is the higher taste. Give it spiritual bliss and spiritual ecstasy and spiritual interactions. Hang out with people who have the same thoughts. Offer your food. See Krishna. Talk about him. Read about him. Learn about who you were, who you are, who the soul is separate from this mind and body. Thank you. That's all for today. He told me I could go till 610. So that's what we've done. Are there any questions or comments or thoughts or critiques that you'd like to share from those who have not yet spoken? So I guess that means if you don't have any questions that you're ready to do this right away. You're ready to go home and try this this week. What is your goal, material and spiritual? Make it happen. All right. Thank you so much. Hare Krishna.